On this episode of The Trillist, we have... But my parents both immigrated separately um, in the early 90s um, amidst the uh, Guatemalan Civil War. Yeah, I don't think I ever felt a particular pride in being American and what it means to be American. Like, Yeah, they, they, just, they just point out like, you're so American, you sound so American, you look so American. And the last time I went, I started to like understand it more and now I've started to speak it. You know, wealth is knowing that your children's upbringing will be better than yours. For more chill content, follow The Trillis Instagram at T-H-E-T-R-I-L-L-E-S-T underscore podcast. And check out Sia's Insta at L-I-N-D-A-L-E-B-B-I-E. And if you like this video, and I know you do, just admit it, please rate our podcast it will help us with reaching more people and also share it with your friends your family your loved ones just share it hello everyone on today's episode of the trillist i have amazing penn students who are first generation americans or they have immigrated here themselves. So I cannot wait to discuss that identity characteristic. I myself was not born in this country. I came when I was two, but I'll tell you all about that later on in the episode. To introduce everyone, we have Adam. Hello. Fatma. Hello. Luz. Hi, everyone. And Eric. Before we begin today's episode, could each of you quickly go around and tell me what you're studying at Penn and what your interest is, what you want to do post-grad? Yeah, so thanks again for having me on. Um, I'm an urban studies major and my minors are international development and urban ed policy. I'm really interested in you know, doing research that has implications on policy at the local level. Hello, thank you for having me on as well. Uh, I'm a pre-med student uh, in the college and I plan on going to uh, med school in the future, but I actually major in uh, English, creative writing specifically, and I just declared, but I'm super excited to see uh, what that looks like in the next coming two years. Uh, so excited to be here this afternoon. Um, I am currently a junior in the School of Nursing with minors in Global Health and Hispanic Studies. Uh, I aspire to be a family nurse practitioner and eventually uh, work relating to healthcare policy. 
Um, I'm really just passionate about creating change at a bigger level. And I believe that the experience I will have as a nurse will provide me a great foundation to implement changes within policy and overall increasing uh, healthcare access, as well as uh, addressing health disparities within marginalized communities. I'm in the college. I'm studying politics, philosophy, and economics. Um, and I'm with a minor in the classics. At the moment, I'm interested, possibly interested in going to consulting, but long term, I'm interested in going to law school and working with public policy. Awesome. Well, all of you are interested in the public good. That's a theme that I've noticed. And would you all say to make change in public policy and health policy and so on, you need to be informed on what is going on in this world all over, both domestically and internationally with the news? Yeah, definitely. Not even a question. A hundred percent. Well, lucky for you all and our amazing, razzling listeners, the Trillist is sponsored by The Economist. We have a special link in our description where you all can go click on it and get a discounted 12-week subscription for just $19. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a robust, wonderful news outlet, news source that has been around for such a long time, is so credible, giving you news on what is happening domestically and internationally. And this will help you be more informed individuals, will help with your schoolwork, what you can quote when you are consulting letting people know what's coming down the pipeline with this issue and so on, and when you are creating policy proposals. So I want all of you to get your life. Click the link in our description. Again, the link is in our description. And get you a 12-week Economist subscription today. Happy reading, everyone. So to start off this episode... How about we all go around and tell the listeners what our ethnic background is and whether we were born in the States to first-generation immigrants or whether we ourselves were immigrants to the United States. I will start. So I was born in the Gambia to Sierra Leonean refugees of the Sierra Leonean Civil War And we moved to the U.S. when I was two, turning three, uh, in 2001, uh, in the winter of 2001, so before 9-11. So we settled in Massachusetts, have been there ever since, and that is my background. I was born in Khartoum, Sudan, with, uh, I was with the majority of my family then, but then me and my parents won the green card lottery, so we uh, ended up moving to Brooklyn, New York, and that was around 2002, so right after 9-11, and we're pretty much been there ever since. So I was born and raised in San Francisco, California, uh, but my parents both immigrated separately um, in the early 90s um, amidst the uh, Guatemalan Civil War. So um, yeah, they ended up meeting here, um, but I was born here. I was born in, in Gettysburg, Maryland, um, and my parents were immigrated from Vietnam after the Vietnam War. 
Um, they came here around 1990s, and it didn't happen until about 10 years later, in 2001, which is my, 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 my birth year. I was born in 2001, born and raised in New York City, but both of my parents were married and then immigrated in 1996 uh, during the Algerian Civil War. So as you might expect, they're from Algeria. Um, and yeah, they immigrated here and then had me. Wow, all of you have really diverse, amazing backgrounds. Personally, as a child of immigrants, as an immigrant myself, even though as a child you come and it's different, I didn't have to take the citizenship test. My parents did, and I got citizenship through them. And, you know, but do you feel a strong connection to your cultural, your ethnic background? And if so, in what ways do you feel this connection? Uh, like I said before, uh, me and my family are Sudanese, and I think I, I think we're pretty moderately uh, connected or feel connected to our countries, mainly because of two things. One, because uh, my parents like really held on to the language and traditions and cultures of Sudan, and we like we live by that, like me and my siblings. And secondly, we also like visit Sudan a lot during the summer. So there's always some sort of either uh, physical connection by being there or just the uh, sort of cultural connection by uh, just making sure those traditions are alive and like brought up in most of the activities that we indulge in. For myself, uh, given that my parents immigrated um, during the Civil War, uh, them returning to Guatemala has, you know, several challenges. So um, me being an American citizen, I grew up going to Guatemala a lot to visit my grandparents and have that connection and really just establish it. So I love going to Guatemala and um, a lot of it is for me to get to know my culture firsthand. But at home, I definitely was raised eating like all the cultural foods and speaking Spanish, first of all. Um, so I definitely feel very well connected, but I know that, you know, I'm fortunate in having this experience. Um, and it can be definitely attributed to the fact that I constantly go to Guatemala and um, am able to really immerse myself in the culture. For me, I definitely say it's a 50-50 because I'm definitely well immersed with the culture, the language. Um, I always speak at home with my parents. I always like love and eat cultural foods and other traditions of Vietnam culture, but at the same time, like my parents have never brought me back to Vietnam. So I've never been back to my home country before. And I guess part of that is due to their trauma and not wanting to go back. But uh, for me, it's definitely something that I really want to do later on in my life as well, to be even more connected to my culture, just like everybody else. Mine is almost like a combination of Fatma and Eric, where it's like, yes, we are moderately connected in the fact that we have, we've been preserving the language and the culture and the traditions and whatnot, um, but we haven't been there physically, right? Um, there's still, keep in mind, that civil war I just mentioned. So like what Eric said, I would love to go back and eventually embrace that culture, but we do maintain a connection through, for lack of a better word, just contact, constant contact with our family. That's amazing. So I've been back to... Sierra Leone like twice and I've been to like Nigeria as well we have like cultural connections there as well 
And a lot of my family live in like London. So I go back to London pretty frequently, like every year, every other year. And that has been a sense of like seeing family and being around each other. I really love Sierra Leone so much. The food, the music, the vibe, like how laid back and friendly we are. The palm trees, the beaches with white sand and Cruellan blue water. It's just amazing. The weather. Christmas time in Sierra Leone is just a blast. And we go to the beach on Christmas and like the clubs and all of that good stuff. You know, I just love home and like my family and the food's amazing, like I said again. So it's interesting because I have been back and love to go back, like what Luce mentioned, but I don't speak the language. Like I actually, hmm. So Sierra Leone, our national language is English. And then another language that's pretty much, it's actually more widely spoken than English, is Creole, which itself is an official language. And any Creole language is a mix of other languages. Sierra Leonean Creole is mostly English-based, but with Portuguese and Spanish and French. And I think a little bit of Arabic as well, because... We are a Muslim majority country and I've been Muslim since like Mansa Musa and like thousands of years. So it's deeply ingrained in our culture, right? Islam. But I say this to say that I have been getting better with my Creo. And the last time I went, I started to like understand it more. And now I've started to speak it more. And even though my cousins make fun of me with like my American accent, I they still like are understanding what I'm saying and I speak to my mom in it and I love it and I can't wait to like teach it to my kids and then I want my parents to teach their tribal languages to my children as well because my parents each speak like five languages and that's something I didn't have the benefit of doing and I would love my kids to have that connection. So moving on to my next question and Adam and Eric kind of spoke about this, but I'm sure Luz and Fatma also can speak to this. But did you ever feel at any point in your life, maybe you still do, a tug of war between your ethnic culture and like American culture? And I know there's a question to like, what is American culture, you know? Um, and that's like a whole another conversation itself. But you know what I mean? Like uh, the 4th of July, did you ever feel like patriotic and connected to this land that we love that is very problematic in a lot of senses, especially when it comes to immigrants and so on? I know uh at least for New York City, being in New York City, I definitely did not feel like stuck anywhere only because uh, Brooklyn is extremely diverse and like you didn't really feel like you were different or you stuck out. Like I grew up in a out of neighborhood, then I moved to a Russian one, then I moved to like a Chinese one. Like I moved around a lot and nowhere did I ever feel like I was different because it was a mix of a lot of things at the same time, different languages, different cultures. So it was really, it was really fun being both different and similar to the people around you. But when I go back home uh, to Sudan during the summer, uh, there definitely was that uh, identity uh, crisis, I guess, where 
like the same thing as he was saying, like cousins. Like they just make they poke fun at you, like about like the way you speak or like the way I speak Arabic. Like like I'm very I have like what they call like very household Arabic. It's very like basic. It's like for survival. But yeah, they they just they just point out like you're so American. You sound so American. You look so American. Like and you eat like in such an American way. And like I never know ex- knew exactly what that meant, but I knew that it like indicated towards some sort of like difference between um me having been raised in a different country but still going back to this uh place of where my roots are so it's i definitely feel it when i go back home to sudan but when i'm here uh in new york city or in philly even i don't really feel any different or feel like i'm stuck anywhere if that makes sense so in my case i think that Growing up in San Francisco, I was similarly exposed to various cultures and all of that. So I knew that my like family situation in terms of being immigrants wasn't necessarily unique because my friends were also in similar positions. However, um, very similar. Um, when I would go to Guatemala, um, I actually have dual citizenship and my parents, um, you know, made sure that that was um, something that they got done. However, um, my cousins are overall my family. They're like, you know, you're not really Guatemalan. Um, and sometimes it was more of a jokingly way. But, you know, when you're a kid, you you can internalize those things. Uh, however, I, I made sure that, you know, it didn't really get to me. Um, I'm very fortunate where I speak Spanish very fluently um, to the point where, like, my current work study positions require that I be able to use my Spanish. So. I think for me, um, though, like those things did exist, I definitely felt stuck between cultures more in the U.S. I feel like just because when I talk to my friends, they like bring up, you know, maybe like references to movies, to artists. And I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. I did not watch that movie, you know, or things like that. I feel like that, you know, cultural um, aspect, especially as it relates to pop culture, was never really present in my life. Um, and I feel like that not, isn't necessarily because I'm first gen, like it can be maybe attributed to the fact that um, I was low income and didn't have access to watching all these movies or just the fact that like I also grew up in a religious household, so I wasn't allowed to watch certain things. So I think a lot goes into play when I really try to decipher um, this disconnect between cultures. But I think something that definitely was really prevalent is the saying that neither aquí ni allá. So not from here and not from over there. Like there's definitely this in between that I feel like I'm in sometimes. However, I feel like I've been able to navigate it fairly well in a way where I still like am very much Guatemalan and claim my American side for the sake of like, for the sake of just claiming it. I think going back to the question of like what is what does American even mean? Um, I, I don't know to this day and I think that for me simply just being here in the United States is like me being American. Um, like that's to the extent that I want to say that I'm American because other than that, my household is very Guatemalan, definitely stuck between cultures, but trying to navigate them as best as I can. Yeah, I definitely think it's interesting that you mentioned um a sense of patriotism on the July, July 4th year, because I think for me personally, I never felt it like that. Uh, and I also never really felt pride in being American. And that's even before like learning about, I don't know, U.S. imperialist aggressions and stuff like that. For me, like uh, the Vietnamese people are a little interesting because usually the immigrants here are very, are very conservative and like prideful to be American because 
they viewed that all the Americans uh, saved them from the war and like gave them refugee um, and gave them a new life here, which I guess is problematic in, in its own way. But like my parents are always like, yes, America is like the land of opportunity. Like I guess how um, they want us to see America. So like growing up, I always had like kind of a conflicting mindset between viewing America as like, yeah, like I could have opportunities like nowhere else in the world. Um, but at the same time, like I like when I learned about history in the Vietnam War, it also made me question, do I really want to be American and stuff like that as well? So I think for me, it was hard to be, to lean in one way or another. Like I didn't feel particularly Vietnamese simply because like I didn't really have much of a basis to compare myself on to be Vietnamese. All my other cousins and family members are in a similar situation to me. Like, born to parents who immigrated to Vietnam. I didn't have any relatives in Vietnam. We didn't have any contact. Um, and yeah, like a lot of my friends here were just ignorant of like the immigrant situation or um, ignorant of Asian culture. So I felt like the pressure to like assimilate. So I guess to me, like, again, like uh, it's just always in a weird spot as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever felt a particular pride in being American and what it means to be American. Like I hopefully want to take away the positives, like being hardworking and scrappy and like having opportunities, the opportunity to like do anything that you want. I still fundamentally believe in that. Um, but now it's also like twisted with like a lot of um, negative things that happen in America. So, yeah. See, the thing about going glass is that you hear all these different things and, you know, they all ring true to you. So I'll take something from each of what was just said. Right. So Eric just mentioned dealing with history and merging that with your identity. And are, can one really do that? Um, that's something that I often find myself thinking about. Right. And then Louis, what you mentioned, there, there's that specific term for outsiders. Right. In Arabic, not even Arabic, just that specific dialect from Algeria. There is a word that directly translates to the American. And guess who it's used on? It's used on me because I'm the only person on both sides who was born in America. So I'm often referred to by the Ameri Americani. I think that's how they say it, right? Americani. And that's that's just like, yeah, that, that's me, um, not Adam. Um, so there's that. And then Fatima, what you, what you mentioned, yeah, you know, I still try to preserve it. But, you know, thinking about things like language and just embracing that culture, you know, that's something you always want to do. Um, so I, again, I would say I'm stuck, but this also brings up the concept of the third culture kid. And I think that's what your question was getting at, right? That we, we are dealing with three cultures, right? And it's this, the, the one on the outside, um, that is the American culture, the one in our households, and then merging those two. How do you deal with that? You know, that, that's a very individualized question. And I'd say mine is a combination of what you just heard. Wow, that's powerful. The third culture kid. I hadn't heard that term before. So thank you so much, Adam, for bringing that up. It's so interesting because I feel like Sierra Leone, because of the Civil War, there's so many Sierra Leoneans like everywhere, whether that be in the fact that we were colonized by Great Britain. So there's been... My mom has an aunt who's in her 70s and all of her four kids who are in their well into their 50s now were all born in London and they have children. So now they're like and even 
grandchildren now. So those grandchildren are like third generation, right? So they've been deeply seeped in British culture. Or even my mom has a cousin who's Australian. Our family has just been so many different places forever. My grandfather studied in Germany in like the 50s. And my uncle was studied in like the Soviet Union. And my dad was in China way back when they that's where they got their masters and so on so it's there's always been an air of like internationalness to our like family and our experiences however my mom always said this like if it wasn't for the civil she never wanted to come to america she always wanted to do business and like go back home and it sucked that your homeland was destroyed and the war started where my family's from because that's where the diamonds are and it was over like diamonds i'm sure you've all heard of like blood diamonds and so on so it started there and then moved throughout so i've never been referred to like when my cousins do make fun of me it's like they think my accent's like a valley girl accent i'm like no um and it's like my british cousins who have like british accents just saying like what because when they speak creole they can get rid of that like british accent and like speak it correctly and so on. So that's interesting because when I am back home, yes, when you go to visit, people are like, oh, JC, JC, which means just coming. But it's not necessarily, we have a word for um, white people. It's oibo. And then we have a word for like black people who aren't West African and that's akata. So people that were through like the diaspora, those people are called like Akatas and then you have your Oibo people. So no one has ever like referred to me as a Akata, which is like great, right? But it is true that there's this difference. I think it's a little different in the sense that we've been like a people that have been like everywhere for some time now. So there's not necessarily that. And I want to lead into a next question. But I saw this TikTok of someone just making fun of how, like, his immigrant mom, him having to file, like, taxes for his immigrant mom, like, as a 10-year-old. I've never done that. But there has been times where my mom has an accent and she's talking to, I don't know, like, Xfinity and they don't they're not necessarily understanding her so she gives me the phone and she's like here like you tell them what i need to tell them and she's speaking english it's just sometimes some people aren't as sensitive to accents and stuff like that so i'm wondering if there's been ways that you have helped bridge this gap like adam said this third culture kid where you've bridged the gap between like American culture and your culture at home and then made the two like come together but done that for your parents and your relatives my dad he uh speaks English and but he has like sort of a like a like Brooklyn slang so it, he like that's like that's his thing but I know my mom doesn't speak it but she understands it but and she just speaks like very slow it's very hard for her to like be able to come up with the words fast enough in a response. So like, I know like from when I was a kid, like till this day, I still do like scheduling appointments. I talk to like movers or people who come over, teachers for like parent-teacher conferences, or like even if my siblings have like play dates 
with other people in their schools. I'm like the one that sets it all up because my, my mom just can't like speak it. And even like with other people who also don't speak English. So like I have a close friend whose mom also doesn't speak English and she speaks Urdu and my mom doesn't speak English as well. But then just like the translating back and forth, like my friend will say, will translate from her mom what she says in Urdu and then I translate what my mom says in Arabic to her. And it's like, it's very strange, but it work, It somehow really works out pretty fine. It's not as like nerve wracking as it sounds. And I guess it's probably because you get used to it over time, but it's, yeah, it's still something I do to this day. I mean, when I was younger, I definitely felt embarrassed and like, like, wow, wow, like everybody's like staring at us here because I'm like speaking for you, like as this tiny person. And then I think over time, I started to really appreciate the ability to do that and also the ability to be able to bridge that gap and not feel embarrassed for of being different from like the other people in the room. So yeah, it's definitely been uh, a journey and I definitely have uh, made peace with that now. I think it's really interesting that you bring up TikTok because I have personally found that on TikTok, I have been able to relate to a lot of people and this mostly relates to being the oldest daughter. Like there's this like, oh my God, like oldest daughters carry their families on their back type stuff. And to me, that was very true. For me, it's been more about creating boundaries between what I can and cannot do for my family, especially now that I'm away from home. But growing up, um, I was always the one filling out the forms for like school stuff. Um, and I was always the one paying the bills. Um, there was just a lot of things that I, you know, had to do because I guess I was both firstborn and because I was, you know, fluent in English. And so it was a lot of like filling out forms. It was definitely also translating. It was also making calls. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've called Bank of America claiming to be my mom. Um, and similarly, you know, whether it is Xfinity, uh, this past summer, I, we had really bad Wi-Fi, um, and going virtual, that was an issue. So I didn't even ask my mom <laughs> if I could change our bill and stuff. I just went ahead and did it because at the end of the day, like I knew what I was doing. Um, my, mom, my mom was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Like, no worries, you know, type of thing, because it's something that we're so used to. Um, and so in a very similar way, I think that also applied to like when I was applying to college, like my FAFSA, I had to fill that all out by myself. And on Twitter, I've also found that that's also a common experience, you know, I think that's so unique to many of us who are in a position where our parents aren't very knowledgeable about these matters. And so there's been various things that I know I've had to do because of the position that I have. Um, and though it has definitely made me well more prepared for the adult world. I think I also grew up a little faster than I needed to as a result. But at the end of the day, I think it's also um, allowed me to now create and navigate boundaries with my family and my whole family dynamic and what that looks like for me now um, is slowly starting to look better just because um, I know that my parents don't necessarily need me all the time at home. Whereas when I was first coming to college, I was like, oh my goodness, what are my parents going to do without me? Like they, they're so codependent on me. And so I think I'm finally getting into a space where I'm able to still help them out and do all that I can to help them out, but also make sure that, you know, they're actually doing things without me. A lot of our experience is the same, especially with the FAFSA and 
just taking care of the parents. I think I think it's interesting when you have to like micromanage like a lot of small things, like whether that be your parents' bank account, all the passwords to their email, answer the emails for them, take the phone for them. I think that that's like something that a lot of people yet also at the same time not a lot of people can relate to. Like it's kind of like a weird spot, right? Um, I think it's very common amongst children of immigrants, but like I think anyone else it's like hard to relate to. Also, see, I think for the TikTok that you mentioned, I think that's actually like like a Vietnamese one, I think. Or like maybe there's like a Vietnamese one that I have uh, came stumbled across, but I actually found that that TikTok was very, very real. Uh, I definitely do remember being a very young age, 11 and 12, and having to like help my parents with all the taxes. And when my brother first went off to college in 2014, I think I was 13 or 14 at the time. And... Um, I had to do the file the FAFSA for him um, because he left the tax forms at home and like my parents didn't know how to fax it to him or um, send him like PDF versions of it. So like I remember being 13 and having to like do the FAFSA for him and I was just kind of like lost and scared at the same time. But um, my parents are also like anxious and like yelling at me. So I think like it's interesting when like you have to micromanage all these things where your parents are knowledgeable. And at the same time, you also realize that they're scared and they're anxious and they know that they don't, they're not really knowledgeable, even though like they maybe should be. And then they like kind of reflect that often in their behavior and their tone and how they're saying things too. And in many ways, like I think now like we're a very health conscious, health, mental health conscious society. But I think like back then, um, or even to, towards immigrant parents, it gets hard for them to like control how they're communicating things. So I think like even then, like, like having that interaction was extremely stressful in of itself too. The feeling that you had to grow up a bit earlier and that your parents are dependent on you, like it's definitely really scary. But I think now, like the older I get, I feel like the more proud and appreciative I feel of all my experiences um, helping my parents growing up. It doesn't feel like it's like a one-sided parents taking care of me all the time situation. Like now, now I, I can feel proud to say that, like, yeah, like, if anything happens, like, I'm here for you. Like, you don't have to feel like I'm something holding you down. Like, I'm here to help support you no matter what. And I feel like perhaps that's a common uh, feeling amongst everyone as well. Yeah, and just to steal what Eric said, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I, w I was the tech support. Uh, <laughs> right? So um, I was the tech support for my parents when there was even, a, like, a smidgen of hesitancy about a decision. I'm like, all right, guys, let's just make our minds up if you don't mind. Um, so there was that. And I think this also translates to the college experience. So everyone knows how at Penn, Figley students, that means first gen low income, but first gen often means in the context of college, right? Because you don't have that knowledge of the university life and all of those connections that come with it. I would also extend that to being a first-generation American, right? Because, again, the familiarity with the American university system will probably be also not, not amazing, right? So, for example, I remember in my sophomore year, very vividly, I asked my parents, all right, so for college, what is the expectation? And they're like, Ivy League. And I'm like, okay, so how does UPenn sound? This, this school seems pretty cool. And they're like, what is that school? Um, so you, you see, it's like high, very high expectations, um, but it's not incredibly specific. It's just, we're expecting the best as we've heard it. 
so I would, again, that's just something about these are how my parents manage things. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to try and get it done. And I would also mention, <laughs> it's so funny being part of a community of first-generation Americans from a particular region. So as I mentioned, I'm Algerian, right? And there's this Instagram page called North Africans United. And they also have a page for TikTok, North Africans TikTok. Um, and both of them just post things that North African kids can relate to. So, you know, for one example, it said, North African kids never had babysitters. We just got told to lock the door and not open it for anybody. And this is from like four days ago. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, I am not alone. I am not alone at all. Uh, and it seems as though, I think when answering your question about how do you link it all up, I think it comes with the network of speaking to other people. And, you know, that's the power of social media just tells you, yeah, you're not alone. Um, so that's one thing. And again, yeah, being that tech tech support and just being that person who can decode the nuances of American culture, because I've just been exposed to it since I was born. I think those are the two things that really define my answers. That's so funny. The, they were just told to close the door and not let anyone in because I feel like well, I had babysitters too, but up to a certain point, I became the babysitter. And I remember I was looking after my sister and I was like probably nine at the time. And she got the phone and she was a baby and like accidentally called the police. So the police came and they're, <laughs> and I'm, I've, I'm short and I've always been like tiny. So like what is going on? But the police officer was kind and my stepdad came home and things were like sorted out and it was fine. But after that, I went to get a training at the Red Cross, a CPR and first aid babysitting training so that I could be a certified babysitter and do things like the correct way. But yeah, it's interesting. You do grow up and there, I don't know if you all like Adam kind of spoke a little bit like hinted on this and this I'll I want to talk about this and then we'll wrap up this episode and be done but a lot of immigrants are successful in their country generally unless they're coming for like asylum and refugee status and so on but people who like win the diversity lottery, I think Fatma, when you mentioned winning the green card lottery, that's what you're talking about, the DV, come here and they win the lottery, but they have to showcase like all this stuff. You can support yourself, this and that. And they're college educated in their home countries and have good jobs and come from respectful families and blah, blah, blah. And then they come here and have to start all over again. And it's very hard especially if you have an accent and you don't necessarily understand like the cultural references and all of that stuff to get that job that you had back home. And a lot of immigrants I see, at least in my community, go into like either they become nurses because they see that's a way to make good money and achieve like the American dream or they go into like the health field like at nursing homes and like uh, certified nursing assistants and stuff like that or work in like mental health and that's what 
my mom worked in mental health until she decided to go back to school and she got her bachelor's degree in early childhood education because she's a teacher so proud of her like going back to school and getting her bachelor's degree but even getting a job and we come from the suburbs in a suburban white town is hard thankfully she does have a job but even in her whole school district she's only one of four black teachers (laughs) in the entire like thing you know so things like that it's like there's so many things stacked up against you and I don't know if you're if if you guys related with your families having to come and start from scratch and not necessarily achieve the stuff that they had back home at least my parents definitely uh, had to deal with that which was the same case for a lot of immigrants or like most immigrants in New York City. I know uh, my mom graduated with bachelor's in Sudan and my I think my dad graduated with like associates. But yeah, basically like none of that was accepted in this country. And I think they were just like at an age where like they just didn't feel like starting over or like going back to school. So they, they just ended up taking like like jobs that don't really require that sort of um degree or that sort of like uh like education. And my mom just like, had like decide okay I'll just stay home and take care of the kids which she's still doing to like till this day and yeah I the, in the beginning they were very like annoyed about that and um having to come from a place where like from their families at least at least for my mom uh she was like the first girl in her family to at least go to college in Sudan because a lot of her siblings ended up getting married really really young and my mom like got married in her like early 30s I think yeah and so coming here and then being told that she couldn't use her uh, degree especially for something she was passionate about I think it was management and then um just being told that really sucked for her so she just just moved all her energy to kind of make sure her kids had the best education and she has a lot of high expectations and she devotes most of her time to education but it's, it just still suck, like sucks to see um how she's treated just because she sounds different sometimes or just because um she doesn't necessarily have a degree or she can't talk to you about certain things because she doesn't know the language when she could tell you the same exact thing, but just in Arabic. It definitely sucks, but I mean, it is what it is now, but I'm definitely glad glad to have parents who are really dedicated to my education, where that's going to head in the future, hopefully. So I actually have quite a different experience. My parents um, lived in poverty in Guatemala. Um, My parents didn't have shoes on their feet um, throughout their entire, entire childhood. Uh, Neither of my parents grew up with their own parents because there wasn't enough food in their respective households. So my parents were in a situation where they desperately needed to find a means of income, which resulted in their decision to immigrate. So in my household, um, my parents work minimum wage jobs. My parents were never educated. My parents, unfortunately, barely know how to read and write. Um, And even then, knowing how to read and write in itself is a very large privilege. Um, So when it came to perhaps setting expectations for myself and my younger sister, the underlying expectation is just going to college and getting a degree. Um, They never specified what school I needed to go to or anything like that because the system to them is completely unfamiliar. Um, Literally no knowledge about it. So I had to navigate it on my own. And, you know, I think the expectations that my parents ended up developing were based off of my um, my achievements, my performance. So they clearly saw that, you know, from a young age, I really liked school and I was good at it. So based off that, you know, that they were holding me at higher expectations 
throughout my um all throughout all of my childhood. So I think that really formulated the experience that I had in the way that like again I was kind of paving my own educational path and I really had the liberty to do so. So I could have ended up anywhere. Um, and so it just so happens that I ended up at Penn, but, um, and my parents are very supportive of that and they've kind of come to understand what an Ivy League is. However, um, my dad doesn't, can't really wrap his head around, you know, it. and so sometimes when I'm talking to my family, I'll like, they'll ask me where I go to school or, you know, whatever. And sometimes I don't even say the name because the name isn't relevant. Like they have no context for what Penn is. So one thing I'll typically say, it's like, oh, I go to school a few hours away from New York, you know, and New York is a big city, people know it. So that's kind of just what I say. Um, With people who are a little bit more familiar with like higher education, maybe I'll say, oh, do you know Harvard? Well, yeah, so like Penn is very similar to Harvard. Like, you know, they're part of like the same group of schools. Um, So I think that my parents and overall my family not really having a knowledge about higher education and growing up in poverty me being in college is already way more than they already did. Me graduating high school um, was an achievement in itself because my parents never had access to that. I think my parents barely made it to maybe like third or fourth grade. So again, you know, I really had to navigate this education system on my own. And I'm fortunate that, you know, circumstances um, just presented themselves where I ended up here. However, not everyone has the same opportunities that I did. And Um, Many of my cousins, um, unfortunately, you know, maybe went to community college and kind of just stopped there. Um, Again, going back to the fact that our parents um, grew up in poverty and didn't really have clear expectations for us, um, even though like grades were kind of more of like the standard, right? You know, good grades is kind of all they asked for. And by good grades, it kind of just looked like A's, B's, as long as you're not failing. So I think, again, the expectations were a little bit different in my household and overall in my childhood. However, Um, My parents' support in terms of my education was always there, um, even though they didn't really know how to always support me. I kind of have a similar story as well. Um, Not exactly, but my parents were also uh, born in poverty in Vietnam. Uh, And like, I think they went to like middle school and started a bit of high school until like the communist uh, invasion of Saigon, or I guess now she can see. Uh, began and then they kind of lost everything and for about I don't know like maybe five to ten years they lived like in flux of like just trying to run away from the communists living all together in one of one big household trying to like scramble for food and stuff um, so like it was definitely like a difficult upbringing for them and I guess like some aspects of like PTSD too but we're not gonna get into that but um and I guess yeah when they came over to the United States like um, they also worked minimum wage jobs. My dad was like a chef and my mom was like a dishwasher until like my mom really wanted to kind of like change that. It was like too much of a struggle. My brother had just been born and she wanted to kind of like just have a better situation. So she had to like work two minimum wage jobs while going to community college. Like meanwhile, like my dad would support her by like cooking for her and driving her um, from class to home and helping take care of her. Just like I guess extraneous stuff, and then uh, yeah, like eventually my mom became a nurse. Kind of like what Sia said, like it's a very common pathway I think for a lot of people. Growing up, like they didn't really have too huge of education. My mom got her associates in nursing, um, but that's about it. They didn't really know what higher education looked like. And I think that like 
there's, there's like a stereotype among Asian households where it's like, oh, become doctor, lawyer, go into these professions that make a lot of money. I think that it was, that was very much absent in my household. And uh, my parents were just like, do whatever, just as long as you're being were able to be independent. And I think that, um, you know, they didn't even know that I was like a good student <laughs> for a long time. They're just like, oh, like he has good grades. He'll be fine, right? Um, and then like when admissions day came and I told them I got into like an Ivy League school, they're like, what's that? And then I had to like, kind of like, uh, was like say like, oh, it's like a school like Harvard. They're like, oh, oh my God. So I think it's like very similar situation where um, to navigate a situation like a, a situation where your parents have no idea about and where there's no clear expectations laid out but in many ways i also feel like that's kind of liberating because you know feel pressure to be the best like you know just graduating high school going to some form of college is already a huge achievement you know so i think in many ways like that's something that i'm very prideful about that's something that makes my parents very happy um that i can just do something that makes them happy and makes them feel like their struggle is worthwhile. I think that might be a very common trope among children of immigrants, uh, immigrant parents. Like you have to, sometimes like the pressure isn't put on you, but you put the pressure on yourself because after you know about their story, like you want to make the most of what you're given, you know? And I feel like that is why like there are like a decent number of first general income students at high, like very high schools. What hasn't been said at this point, I think the only thing I should add is that uh, my mom came from a pretty high income family. My maternal grandfather was a, I want to say, heart surgeon, and my maternal grandmother was a dentist. So as you'd imagine, pretty good life, pretty comfortable. Um, But her and my father, who was far more, you know, I guess low income, he lived in what would be considered one of the more low-income areas of Algiers, which is the capital of Algeria, um, they just hit the reset button when they immigrated, right? They had, I want to say, like $3,000 on them when they moved. That's literally all they had, and it's like good luck. So they lived with somebody else they knew in Long Island for a bit and then settled in Astoria, Queens, which... If you're from New York City, you would know Astoria is basically the little Middle East. Um, and then they eventually moved to where I am now, which is Staten Island. So as, as you might imagine, yeah, it's it's been a completely different experience, but they assimilated, I think, in terms of occupation. Now, what do I mean by this? My father is uh, currently doing contracting when it comes to air conditionings. And the good news is that that's what he was trained to do back home. And on the other hand, my mother... <laughs> She did a international business. That was that was her major in, in college, which wouldn't even translate to a full four years of college in the United States. But now she's a teacher assistant, right? She didn't even have to go back to school. She started out as a substitute and then was eventually hired full-time by a very nice uh, elementary school in Staten Island. So, you know, that just keeping it distinct, that's, that's the background of my family. I think they hit the reset button, but just to quote a song, I forgot who it was by, you know, wealth is knowing that your children's upbringing will be better than yours. So I, you know, I think that might just be this, I could hopefully um, by going to school like Penn, that might be the case for me, but it was very difficult for my parents, I would say. Wealth is knowing that your children's upbringing is better than your own. I like that. Thank you for giving us that gem to 
wrap up this episode. Each of you, I know, have made your families so proud. You are all so strong. And I know the listeners through listening to this episode will just see the strength in your characters and the tenacity that each of you hold. Thank you for coming on today and being vulnerable with myself and the listeners. I've really appreciated learning about your backgrounds, and I know that this will be better in showcasing the immigrant narrative that's not really seen on television and film, but that's a conversation for another day. So thank you all again, and I wish everyone peace and love. If you could please rate and leave a comment on this podcast, that would be great. It would help us be more easily identifiable on iTunes and so on and grow our listenership and tell your friends. Thank you. For more chill content, visit the Trillis underscore podcast on Instagram, T-H-E-T-R-I-L-L-E-S-T underscore podcast. And also visit Sia's Instagram at L-I-N-D-A-L-E-B-B-I-E.